Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Numbers chapter 22. And we're going to be looking at a different individual this morning by the name of Balaam. And uh, he's a little bit of an enigma because uh, uh, just of who he is and what he does. Uh, he actually is mentioned a few times in the New Testament. And it's not an example to follow. It's an example to avoid uh, the life or the, what Balaam does. And so we'll be looking at that this morning. Before we go into that, though, let's go ahead and go, Lord, in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for your blessings. Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity to gather together to worship you. Uh, Lord, we know that there are churches uh, in other states and, of course, in uh, persecuted countries, Lord, where they don't have the freedom that we have this morning to meet here. And, Lord, we're just so grateful that we do have that opportunity. This morning, Lord, as we turn our hearts to your word, I pray that, Lord, any distractions that have been maybe weighing on our minds, anything that's heavy on our hearts, Lord, we know that that will still be there when we're done with the service, Lord. But yet, Lord, we want to just give you this time. And so I pray that by your spirit, you would just still our hearts before you. And that, Lord, we could set aside anything and just listen to what your spirit speaks to us this morning. So we thank you, Lord, and we bless you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Numbers chapter 22, and I'm going to begin with verse 1. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from the river. So if you're catching the story as we've been going along in, uh, in Jericho, I mean in, in, in Numbers, the children of our Israel are right at the border uh, of the promised land. They're just on the other side of the Jordan River. Now verse 2, it says, Now Balak the son of Zippor saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So here are the Moabites, um, uh, distantly related to the children of Israel, by the way. But the king Balaam here, or Balak, I should say, just he sees the children of Israel. He's heard all the things that the children of Israel, you know, the Lord's done through them. And now he's, he's worried because they're right next to him. So verse 5, it says, Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at, P at Pethor, or Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Uh, Pethor, or Pethor, I don't even know how the proper pronunciation, it's believed to be located very close to Haran, or Haran. <laughs> and that is the place where Abraham uh, came from. That's Mesopotamia. So, uh, Balaam, as far as we know, he's not, a, he's not of the children of Israel. He's from Mesopotamia. He's obviously well known because Balak says, hey, I know whom you bless is blessed, 
and whom you curse is cursed. So Balaam, uh, Balak, I should say, I'm going to probably mess up those two names throughout, but you guys know who I'm talking about. Balak, uh, you know, he's close to uh, where Israel, the Canaan, that land, Mesopotamia is pretty far away, and yet the, the, the reputation or the, uh, you know, the popularity or whatever of, of Balaam is widespread because he had heard about Balaam, and so he sends people there uh, to curse uh, the or he sends Balaam to come and curse the children of Israel, as we'll see. Um, so who is Balaam? Again, I mentioned in the very beginning, he's kind of an enigma, Lord, a, a, a little bit. In verse 18, he says, the Lord my God, the Lord my God. So he has some kind of a knowledge, some sort of a relationship with the God of Israel. And yet, elsewhere in the Bible, he's described as a soothsayer. What is a soothsayer? A soothsayer is someone who practiced divination. And this is what the Lord God had to say about divination. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. He's telling the children of Israel this before they enter the promised land. It says, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. This is speaking about human sacrifice or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you will dispossess. Listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. So God speaks pretty plainly and clearly about witchcraft, about sorcery, about listening to, you know, going and having your fortune read. Uh, God speaks pretty plainly about that. It's an abomination in the Lord's eyes. And he says to you, children of Israel, that's not to be among you. And for you and I as believers, it's not to be part of our lives as well. So going back to Balaam, he knows the Lord in some way, obviously. And in fact, he refers to the Lord, his God. And yet he doesn't have a genuine relationship with the Lord, as we'll see as we go through this passage of scripture his heart is not genuinely seeking after the Lord. You know, that's a very dangerous place to be for anybody. When they have somewhat of a relationship or they kind of know about the Lord, maybe they even say they're a Christian, they say all the right words and everything, and yet they don't have a genuine relationship with the Lord, a genuine heart for the Lord. That's a very dangerous spiritual condition. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 21, verses 23. Matthew chapter 7, excuse me, verses 21 to 23. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you who practice lawlessness. 
So having a knowledge of the Lord, you know, maybe talking like you're a believer or kind of hanging around, but not genuinely having a relationship with the Lord is a dangerous place to be in. And that's where I think Balaam was. So verse 7, so the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed from, uh, departed, excuse me, departed with the diviner's fee in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? As if God didn't know, right? He's just testing Balaam. So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, has sent to me saying, look, a people has come out of Egypt and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I will be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. Pretty straightforward of the Lord God, right? Who are these guys? Balaam tells them, hey, you're not to go with them. You're not to curse the children of Israel because I've blessed them. Pretty plain. You can't get beyond. I mean, it's, it's not like, well, I wonder if the Lord, you know, what does he really mean and stuff? He's pretty plain in what he says there in verse 12. So Balaam, verse 13, rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. Isn't that an interesting way to say that? Hey, go back. God's refused me to let, you, to let me go with you. You know, it's, it's true. God has told him, don't go. But notice what he didn't say. He said, I can't curse them because they're blessed. He didn't say that. He just says, hey, God's not letting me go with you. No mention of because they are blessed. Verse 14, and the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Then Balak again sent princes more numerous and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come curse this people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight that I may know uh, what more the Lord will say to me. Balaam, <laughs> what's going on, guy? You've already heard what God said, plain and simple. You know the word of the Lord. You know his commandments. Why are you saying this? He still has not said, I may not curse them because they're blessed. You notice that. He hasn't said that. And so he says, hey, you guys stay here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to inquire the Lord and find out really what, you know, see if he has anything more to say, as if God's going to say any more. Do you think God's going to say, hey, Balaam, you know what I told you before? Boy, this is an offer that's really, I mean, it's a little too good to refuse. I mean, you know, money's money, right? You get to a certain point and, hey, everyone has his price. Do you think God's going to change his mind about that? No. What's taking place here is greed in the heart of Balaam. Greed for money, for riches, has blinded Balaam's mind. 
That's all he can think about. He wants to do it so badly, he's hoping that God will let him go. And so what does God say? Verse 20. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. Wait a minute. God said, don't go with them. Don't curse them. They're blessed. And now he says, if they tell you to go, go with them. Did God change his mind? Did God go, you know, that's a pretty big offer from Balak. You know, we could use the money here in Israel. You know, when we get to Israel, you know. Did God change his mind? Did God relent? No, he didn't. He's giving Balaam over to the sinful desires of his heart. Balaam wants to do it so bad, and he's not taking no for an answer from the Lord, and so God says, okay, go ahead and go. But it's not going to be without painful consequences, as we'll see. It's, that's also kind of a dangerous place. When God gives you over to whatever it is you've been pursuing that's sinful, you've been pursuing and pursuing and pursuing, and finally says, okay, I can't tell you not, just go, go. And yet you're going to bear the consequences of it. So Balaam, verse 21, he rose in the morning. You kind of get the sense, maybe he got up early, like, yeah, I can go, all right. You know, it's like he was waking up, the guy, hey guys, I can go with you. Verse 20, I don't know if that's the case, but it kind of sounds like maybe that might be his heart. Verse 21, so Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Then God's anger was aroused because he went, and the angel of the Lord took a stand in the way as an adversary against him, and he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Why? Is God schizophrenic? I mean, here, you know, don't go, okay, go, and now I'm angry that you went. That sounds kind of hard, you know. What's going on here? Well, first of all, who is this angel of the Lord? That's kind of a curious thing. The angel of the Lord, and we'll see it as he speaks later on, it's what's known as a Christophany. It's, it's a, it's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. So this is, a, this, is the, this is the Lord, Jesus, appearing to Balaam. And it says that he took a stay, uh, it took, excuse me, he took a stand in the way as an adversary against him. What's an adversary? It's a foe. It's someone who hinders or opposes. Why would God hinder or oppose or be an adversary to Balaam? Here's a few reasons. First of all, he's out of the will of God. Okay, he's not, he's not doing what the Lord said originally. He's disobedient to God's express word. He can't say, I didn't know. God made it very plain and very clear. Don't go. Don't curse them. They're blessed. And so he's disobedient to God's express word. Not only that, but he's going with the enemies of God. And he's going, he really would like to be able to curse the children of Israel because he can get paid. And so he's going with the intent to curse the children of Israel. Now, who are the children of Israel? The Bible says they're the apple of God's eye. You know... Ask any parent, and those of you that are parents here, you probably will understand 100% what I'm about to say. You can put up with a lot, typically, as parents. We, we can put up a lot, but you start messing with my kids, them's fighting words, you know? You start messing with my kids, that's, that's where the mama bear comes out. You know, you don't mess with the cubs. And so you think about it. 
Here these people want to curse the apple of God's eye, his children that he loved. You think he's going to take that lightly? No, he's going to be an adversary. You know, the thing is, some people now think in our day and age that God has, you know, he's all the blessings and all the promises that God gave to Israel have now been transferred to the church. And the nation, the state of Israel, you know, they're, they're not part of God's plan. Listen, God has not changed his heart towards the nation of Israel at all, one bit. God's love for the nation of Israel, for the nation state of Israel, has not changed either. And if you don't believe me, read Romans 11 when you get home today. Just read that. That'll answer your question if you don't believe me. So, verse 23 so again, the, the Lord, the angel of the Lord, or Jesus, is standing in the way as an adversary. Verse 23, now when the donkey, now, excuse me, now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword, with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Stupid donkey, right? <laughs> Verse 26. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. Verse 28. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? It's kind of interesting here. The donkey sees the angel of the Lord three times. Every time, you know, it's with the sword drawn, he backs out or he, or he tries to, you know, he stops dead in his tracks. And uh, it seems like here's this donkey who's just a, a, a dumb animal, right? No gifts, no spiritual gifts, no nothing, and yet he's fearful of the Lord, and he sees the Lord, and he's discerning the Lord's spirit standing, the Lord standing right there. And here's Balaam, the man who hears from the words of the Lord, and, you know, he whom he blesses is blessed, and whom he curses is cursed, and he's got this reputation as a very gifted soothsayer, and yet he's oblivious to the presence of the Lord there. That, that says something. So the donkey, the Lord put words in the donkey, and the donkey responds to Balaam there, verse 28. What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Verse 29. And Balaam said to the donkey, because you abused me, I wish, you, I, I wish there was a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell, bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord stood uh, said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out 
to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside for me these three times. If she had not turned aside for me, surely I would have also killed you by now and let her live. When I, whenever I read this story, I always think of the favorite TV show that I had when I was a kid. You remember Mr. Ed? A horse is a horse, of course, of course. <laughs> I always think about Mr. Ed. But here's this thing. This donkey starts speaking to Balaam. Now, wouldn't that, if, that, if a donkey started speaking to you, wouldn't that freak you out? Listen, what's more incredible to you, the donkey speaking to Balaam or Balaam arguing with the donkey? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> it's like he just, he's just, he's so angry, he can't think straight. And so he's arguing with a donkey, with a talking donkey, with Mr. Ed, Mrs. Ed, because I guess it was a female. And so the Lord opens, finally opens Balaam's eyes. He sees the Lord there. And the Lord God said, if the donkey hadn't, uh, you know, stopped, I would have killed you by now and I would have let her live. And he says, because your way, verse 32, because your way is perverse before me. Perverse. The word means to be rash. Your way is rash or it's reckless before me. Um, <clears throat> Peter, there's a few different places in the New Testament that speak about Balaam. Peter speaks about Balaam in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. He's speaking about some, some, some men in his day and age, but he says they have forgot, or, excuse me, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity, a dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. Balaam, the Bible says in the New Testament, loved the wages of unrighteousness. That means he loved the temporary fleeting pleasures of sin. In Balaam's case, it was material wealth. He was willing to curse the children of Israel if the Lord had led him. And it says here, God used the donkey to restrain the madness of the prophet. The madness of the prophet. That word madness means to be beside oneself, out of one's mind, to be insane, basically. That's what he's saying. The, the sin and the greed had so blinded Balaam that now he's not even thinking straight. He's arguing with a talking donkey. You know, he, he's ready to kill his donkey that's been his faithful donkey forever. Um, and, and, and he can't even sense that the Lord's there. He's really losing his mind at this point. And that's what sin can do. It's the opposite of self-control, prudence, and wisdom. That's where Balaam's at right now. Jude also speaks about Balaam. He says, woe to them, again, speaking of some people that Jude is talking about in, in chapter 1, verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So whenever you read about Balaam, it's never a good example. It's always like, don't be like Balaam. And so Balaam's eyes are open. He sees the Lord there, standing there with his sword drawn. The Lord says, if, you, if, if the donkey hadn't stopped, I would have killed you. And so look at verse 34. Look what Balaam says. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. Okay, that sounds pretty good, right? I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, 
if it displeases you, I will turn back. That's kind of weird. What had the Lord already told Balaam? Balaam, don't go. Don't curse the children of Israel. I have blessed them. And now he says, well, if it displeases you that I'm going, well, then I'll go back. Well, how does the Lord respond? Verse 25, excuse me, verse 35. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Now, when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border at the Arnon, the boundary of the territory. Then Balak said to Balaam, did I not earnestly send to you calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, look, I have come to you. Now, have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. See, I think at this point, Balaam knows that he's not allowed to curse the children of Israel, that God doesn't want him to curse the children of Israel. It's almost like he's kind of hedging, you know, he's kind of protecting himself. Hey, I can only speak what the Lord's going to say. So that if he says something that Balaam doesn't, or Balak doesn't like, he can say, hey, God told me that, okay? It's like he's kind of has this little insurance thing. He's hedging his bets, so to speak. Verse 39. So Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kirjath Huzoth, then Balak offered oxen and sheep, and he sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. So it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal, that there he might observe the extent of the people. So where he's at, he can see the entire camp of the nation of Israel from that vantage point. There'll be another vantage point later on, but from that vantage point, he can see the extent, the, 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 all of the nation of Israel camped out there in the valley below him. And if you recall in our studies earlier in the book of Numbers, the way the Lord had told the children of Israel to camp, if you were flying over in an airplane or you were high up enough, you would see the form of a cross. That's the way the tents were in the form of a cross. And so Balaam, he can see everything and he can see the, 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 the cross. Of course, he doesn't have any clue what that means, but that's what he would have seen. Verse 23, then Balaam said to Balak, build seven altars for me here and prepare uh, for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did just as Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, stand by your burnt offering and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a desolate height and God met Balaam and he said to him, I have prepared the seven altars and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, return to Balak and thus you shall speak. So he returned to him, and there he was, standing by his burnt offering, he and all the princes of Moab. And he took up his oracle and said, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce 
whom the Lord has not denounced. For from the tops of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. There, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob, or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my end be like his. Look at verse 8. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? You know, with all the stuff that's been going on with the, with the election and, and just different things that are going on, I remember at one point I had heard, I, I don't know, I don't have any evidence of it, but I had heard that there was groups of, of Wiccans. Wiccans are people that practice witchcraft. And they were pronouncing curses on the church, on Christians, on the president. They're they doing all these curses, and it was kind of like, oh, the Wiccans are doing this. we got to respond. And, you know, listen, Romans 8.31 says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So, you know, I hear those kind of things about the, the Wiccans cursing Christians, and I'm like, okay, big deal. God... I know that God loves me. He's not going to go, oh, I'm going to listen to those guys. Listen, I like the way David said this in Psalms 109, verse 28. Let them curse, but you bless. When they arise, let them be ashamed, but let your servant rejoice. And so sometimes I think we get a little too worked up or a little too, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the Satan worshipers are doing this or doing that or whatever, and we, can, we get all, uh, you know, in a, in a panic and stuff. And it's like we don't need to be in a panic because God has blessed his people. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to, we don't need to focus our focus and our attention on them. God, God's not going to listen to them, folks. So just love the Lord. So verse 8, he says, How shall I curse whom God has not cursed, and how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Verse 9, he says, From the tops of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him there, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. You know, throughout Israel's history, even today, the children of Israel have always kind of stood out alone. They've always had their own culture. You know, anywhere they are in the world, you know, you can pretty much spot the Orthodox Jews because they all dress similar. They have the same customs, the same, you know, they've always, wherever they've been, even throughout their dispersions, dispersions, they've always been kind of a unique people wherever they've been. And so this is a literal fulfillment that continues even to this day. You know, the Bible speaks about you and I as God's people. In Titus 2, verse 14, speaking about the church, speaking about Jesus, he says, who gave himself for us, for the church, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. We should stand out in the crowd too. We are a people dwelling alone. We are people that are, you know, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so, you know, you and I, we are a special people. We are a unique people. Verse 10, he says, who can count the dust of Jacob or number one fourth of Israel? Can you imagine if Abraham was sitting there and he had heard that? Remember God's promise to Abraham? He didn't even have a son at the time. He didn't have any, any sons. He was an old man. And God says, hey, look up at the stars. Can you count them? 
you know, in our day, maybe it's a little bit easier because of all the smog and everything, but in, in Abraham's day, can you imagine the sky? And he looks up and it's like, you gotta be kidding. God says, if you can count the, the stars in the sky, you can count your descendants that are gonna come from you. He said that to Abraham. He said, take a look at the sand on the seashore. Can you count the sand on the seashore? Your descendants are gonna be as many as that. And so here, Balaam, he says, who can count the dust of Jacob or number one-fourth of Israel? Man, that just speaks to God's promises, literally fulfilled in an amazing way. And then he ends this, this oracle, says, let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. Let me die the death of the righteous. Psalms 116 verse 15 says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I don't know if you've ever been with someone who has passed away. If you've been with a believer who's passed away, I've been around bedsides of, of numbers of people that have passed away. And, and I can tell you one thing. When I've been at the bedside of a believer in Jesus Christ, it's a holy place. It's such a special place because there's peace in the person who's passing away because they, they know that they have a relationship with the Lord. They have that hope that's going to be fulfilled very shortly. And it's like their faith, man, they've finished the race. And, and it's, it's precious in the sight of the Lord, the death of his saints. We've got to remember here, this is the word of the Lord speak, being spoken through Balaam. Balaam does not have a genuine heart for the Lord. And so through Balaam, the Lord is saying this, let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. Listen, if you want to die the death of the righteous, you need to live the life of the righteous. You need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to live the life of the righteous. righteous. Balaam wasn't living the life of the righteous, but God is speaking through him here. Listen, think about these blessings that we've kind of touched on. To have God for you and not be against you. God's for you. I can tell you that this morning. You might think, man, everybody's against me. God is not against you. God is for you. To be one of God's chosen people, like the children of Israel, God's chosen people. To be set apart for God. To be a recipient of God's promises, just like God's, uh, you know, Abraham's promises were fulfilled. We see that in this oracle. To be a recipient of God's promises to you and I. To not have fear of death or regret of life. Those are blessings. Even Balak recognizes that these were bountiful blessings. And you know what kind of concerns me? There's Christians who walk around like Eeyore. It's like, you know, everybody hates me. Things are so bad. And, you know, and, and, and they're walking around depressed and woe is me. Listen, these blessings belong to us as well. We should be full of joy, joy. We should be full of joy, joy. <laughs> that wasn't planned, but it's, it, it fits. <laughs> you know, life is tough. And I know people go through, I mean, we've gone through difficult things. I've gone through difficult things. And I know there are people who go through some really tough things. And you hear what they're going through. And it's like, man, I don't know if I could, I, I don't know if I could go through what you're going through. The things are so tough. Life is tough, but God is good. God is good, amen? And we're bountifully blessed. 
So if you're bummed out this morning, you're depressed or whatever, you think things are just going against you, think about these promises. Think about the blessings that belong to you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. Verse 13. So obviously that didn't work, right? Verse 11. Then Balak said to Balaam, uh, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies and look, you have blessed them bountifully. So he answered and said, must I, take, must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? Then Balak said to him, please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only the outer part of them and you shall not see them all. Curse them for me there. I don't know what Balak's thinking. Obviously, he doesn't understand, but he thinks, you know, maybe from a different vantage, you'll have a different viewpoint. Verse 14, so he brought him to the field of Zophim to the top of Pisgah and built seven altars and offered a bowl and a ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, stand here by your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. Then the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, go back to Balaam, to Balak, excuse me, and thus you shall speak. So he came to him, and there he was, standing by his burnt offering, and the princes of Moab were with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? Then he took up, this, then he took up his oracle and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He, has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among him. Does verse 21 kind of jump out at you? He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. That jumped out at me. If you look at Exodus, you don't have to turn there, but Exodus 32, verse 10, the Lord speaking to Moses says, Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I will make of you a great nation. God is ready to wipe out the children of Israel and make a nation out of Moses and his descendants. In Numbers chapter 16, verse 21, Separate yourselves from among this con congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Number 16, verse 45, get away from this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And then it says they fell on their faces. So speaking about Moses and Aaron. In Exodus 32, verse 9, and the Lord said to me, I have seen this people and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. So numbers, or verse 21, it seems like, you know, what's going on here? God was ready to wipe them out several times and he has not observed iniquity in Jacob or seen wickedness in Israel? And yet when God said that in, in Exodus anyways, stand back, I'm going to wipe them out. Moses would intercede for the children of Israel. He prayed for the children of Israel. In fact, I'm going to quote this one verse. It's Exodus 34 verse 9. It says, then he said, this is Moses speaking, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let me, Lord, I pray, go among a uh, let me reread that. Then he said, if I now have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. 
Moses said, Lord, he's not saying they're not bad people, Lord. He's saying, even though they are this way, Lord, don't leave us. You know, there's one word that describes the discrepancy that what God has said about Israel, as we've read in those verses I quoted to you, and what he is saying to Balak through Balaam. And there's one word, it's grace. It's God's grace. It's the same for you and I. Paul says this in Romans 3, verses 21 through 24, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. And yet, verse 24 being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What is Paul saying there? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We all are wicked people. And yet because of God's grace, if you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father sees the blood of Jesus Christ covering your sins. He doesn't even see your sin. He just sees Jesus Christ. And so we've been justified. It's just as if we've never sinned. That's God's grace. Verse 21, he also says, after he says, I have not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel, he says, the Lord his God is with him. That's one of the songs we sang this morning, Emmanuel, God with us. And that's exactly what it means. God is with us. God is with you and I this morning. In fact, Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16, for you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. God is with you this morning. And then verse 21, it also says, and the Lord, uh, and the Lord's God is with them. And then the end there, and the shout of a king is among them. The shout of a king is among them. Psalms 118, verse 15. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. You know, I was preparing the message, working on it this week, and I got to this verse, and I was, I was like, okay, let's, what's the application here? And while I was doing that, I heard... An angel. I, I heard a harp music playing. It was an auto harp. My wife was in the other room, and what she does, I'm sorry to embarrass you, but I'm going to bring you, I'm going to do it anyways. We can, we'll talk later. <laughs> I'll buy her flowers, whatever. <laughs> no, what she was doing, she was practicing, because she practices practically every day with her auto harp, but it's not just practicing to get better at the auto harp. In fact, you know, when she took up the auto harp, it wasn't that long ago. She didn't do it because she's like, I want to become a rock star. I want to become a worship person. You know, I want, I want to be recognized for my ability. She just said, I want to learn the auto harp so I can worship the Lord myself at home. And that's what she's done. And, and, and you know, for you and I as believers, let me, let me just challenge you this. Do you worship the Lord God on your own at home? Because it should be in the tents of the righteous. We have so many blessings, so many things to be joyful about. We should be worshiping the Lord. And so just a challenge to you. Man, you're in the shower. That's when we sing the best, right? Praise the Lord in the shower. You know, worship the Lord. And so, um, you know, I just want to encourage you in that. 
The shout of a king is among them. Verse 22, God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. For there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any division against, divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, oh, what God has done. Look, a people rises like a lioness and it lights, and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Verse 25. Then Balak said to Balaam, neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. So Balaam answered and said to Balak, did I not tell you saying all that the Lord speaks to me that I must do? Isn't verse 25 kind of interesting? Balak's motto there is a little different than ours. You know what our motto is? Hey, if you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all, right? If you can't say anything good about it, just... Be quiet. Don't say anything. Just bite your lip, you know. That's our motto. What's Balak's motto here? Hey, if you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. Because anything that comes out of Balak's mouth is a blessing to the children of Israel. Anything that comes out of it is just blessing the children of Israel. I was convicted by that. Because here Balaam... Uh, he's, he's, the Spirit is speaking through him. The Holy Spirit, he's, this is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and all he can do is bless people. Can you imagine if the only words that came out of your and my mouth was blessing? If that's all we ever did was bless people. If they say, shut up, man, stop blessing, you know? If you can't say anything, you know, bad, don't say anything. <laughs> all he can do is bless. And I wonder, man, I wish that would be described of me. Everything that comes out of his mouth is blessing. James 3 verses 8, and 10, 8 through 10 says this, No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. What a challenge for you and I. I was convicted by that. I'm like, Lord, I, I just speak through me. Guide my mouth. Close my mouth when I shouldn't be saying something, Lord. May anything that comes out of my mouth be blessings. Verse 27. Then Balak said to Balaam, please come. I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them uh, for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor that overlooks the wasteland. Then Balaam said to Balak, build for me here seven altars and prepare for, and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and a ram on every altar. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to use his to use seek to use sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. So Balaam evidently, according to this verse, was trying to use sorcery earlier to curse Israel for Balak. But again, you know, God wouldn't let him uh, curse, only bless. And so now Balaam goes back to 
probably what he used to do because he had some kind of a relationship with the Lord. He was some kind of a prophet of the Lord, allowing God to speak through him instead of trying to conjure up things. He's just simply letting God speak through him. And that's what he's doing at this point in this last oracles, the last couple oracles here. Verse 2, And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. Then he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the word of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom, <clears throat> excuse me, and his kingdom shall be exalted. Who is Agag? Well, he was a king, and it's possible that the word Agag could be a term like Pharaoh. Like Pharaoh, there were several Pharaohs. There probably was several uh, Agags. We know there were several Abimelechs. So not necessarily a name of a person, but a title, kind of like a president in our, in our country. Evidently, this particular king, Agag, was feared in that day, and he was a mighty king in that day. And here the oracle says, his king shall be higher than Agag. Israel's king is higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. You know, I was looking at the commentaries like, who is he speaking? You know, what's, what's you know, going on here? And anyways, I was amazed. Some of these commentaries said, this is a prophecy about Saul. Because Saul, you know, he went after the Amalekites and then they finally killed Agag. Actually, he didn't kill Agag, Samuel did. Um, but they said, this applies to Saul. And I'm going like, uh-uh, no way. You know, I, I, <laughs> this is kind of a side thing. And, and if you're a publisher of a Bible, you're probably not going to like what I have to say here. But there's times when you have to take those study Bibles and those commentaries and just chuck them, okay? I mean, they're good. They're, you can get some insights from them. I look at them and stuff. But, you know, sometimes they are off. And you just need to understand that. They come from a particular, you know, theological bent quite frequently. Um, and so you got to take the commentaries as a grain of salt. And the best thing to do is go to scriptures. Let scriptures interpret scriptures and interpret it in context. And so I believe, and this is my this is my commentary, I believe that this is speaking about Jesus Christ because he is the exalted king of kings. Um, Look at verse 8. God brings him out of Egypt. Now, of course, that's speaking of the children of Israel. Right? The children of Israel, God delivered them from Egypt. But again, think about Jesus Christ. The Bible says, out of Egypt, I have called my son. And we're told in the New Testament that that's a prophecy about Jesus Christ himself. It says he has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies, and he shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. That's definitely not Saul. That's not even King David. That's speaking about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ on the earth. 
Verse 9, he bows down. He lies down at a, at, as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? If you've read the Old Testament before, if you read the book of Genesis, that should sound very familiar to you. Because in Genesis 49, verse 9, that is a prophecy of, uh, of Judah, the tribe that Jesus descended from. And that prophecy in Genesis 49 is a prophecy. It's about Judah, but it's all about the Messiah. In verse 9, it's exactly the same sentence that's referred to in Genesis 49, verse 9, referring to the Messiah. So this is not speaking about King Saul. This is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. And if you consider verse 2, it says the Spirit of God came upon Balaam. Listen, who else is the Spirit of God going to exalt and magnify? Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit always does. Verse 10. Then Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and look, you have bountifully blessed them these three times. Now therefore flee to your place. I said I would greatly honor you, but in fact the Lord has kept you back from honor. So Balaam said to Balak, did I not also speak to your messengers whom you sent to me saying, if Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will. What the Lord says that I must speak. And now I now indeed I am going to my people. Come, I will advise you what uh, this people will do to your people in the latter days. So he took up so he took up his oracle and said, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down uh, with his eyes wide open. Verse 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of, tu uh, of tumult. This is a prophecy that was fulfilled when King David conquered the Moabites. It's in Second, Am uh, Second Samuel verses eight or chapter eight, excuse me, Second Samuel eight verse two. It was fulfilled. You can read about it there when David conquered. The Moabites, but I want to draw your attention to the beginning there of verse 17, or actually it's in the middle. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. I want to take you to the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born, in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When that occurred, that was, it wasn't just like, like three wise men that we show, you know, you're, you're looking like, this was a troop. This was, I mean, this is a, a convoy of wise men from the east, probably from ancient, or from Chaldea or ancient Babylon. Well, if they were from the east and they weren't, you know, they weren't of the children of Israel, how did they hear about the coming Messiah? Where did they learn about the Messiah? 
Well, the Chaldeans were from ancient Babylon. And you'll recall that Babylon uh, conquered Israel and took the tribe of Judah, it took them captive. And one of the captives that was brought out of Israel was a young man by the name of Daniel. And Daniel interpreted dreams. And you guys know those stories probably from Sunday school, if nothing else. And there was a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had that none of his wise men could, could they couldn't tell him what, what the dream meant. And so Daniel was brought before Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And as a result of that, Nebuchadnezzar exalted Daniel and appointed him to be chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. And so undoubtedly, Daniel taught the Chaldeans about the coming Messiah. And undoubtedly, I think he used this verse 17 to speak about the star that would arise. And that these were the things that, the, the, that that's what brought the wise men to, uh, to, uh, to Israel at the time, looking for the birth of the king. Fascinating to me anyways. But continuing on here, verse 18, And Edom shall be a possession, Seir also his enemy shall be a possession, while Israel does valiantly. Out of Jacob shall, uh, one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. Then he looked on Amalek, and he took up his oracle and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but shall be last until he perishes. Then he looked on the Kenites, and he took up his oracle and said, Firm is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. How long until Ashur carries you away captive? Then he took up his oracle and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from the coasts of Cyprus, and they shall afflict Ashur and afflict Eber, and so shall Amalek until he perishes. So Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. Balak also went his way. All of this, that this last oracle was fulfilled historically. We can go through the history and find out all these different nations, but it's going to be ultimately fulfilled during the reign and rule of Jesus Christ and his thousand-year reign on the earth. And so Balaam, he says, I'm going back to my people. Um, this is not going to be the last that we read about Balaam or we speak about Balaam. He's going to also figure into uh, the next coming chapters as well. Last thing I want to leave you with, Balak wanted to curse God's people and that's the nation of Israel, of course. And he hires Balaam, brings them to all these different places to overlook the tents of the children of Israel and curse them. Balaam sees, at the one point he sees the, the shape of a cross there. He doesn't know the significance. Try as he might, God would not allow Israel to be cursed. Now here's a question for you. Where was Israel? They were down in the valley, right? They were down below those peaks. They probably didn't see Balaam up there. They didn't know Balaam was up there. They didn't see Balak. They were just down there minding their own business, completely oblivious to what's taking place in these last few chapters. I want to encourage you. You know, I think there's a lot of times when God is protecting us, he's blessing us, and we're not even aware 
of the blessings that are taking place. Maybe he spared you from a traffic accident on your way here to church or, you know, something that the enemy would love to do something terrible in your life and God is not allowing it. And we're completely oblivious to it. So I just think that's cool. Israel, they had no idea. And yet God was watching over them. Uh, I'll have the worship team come on up and let's go ahead and, and just respond to the Lord in prayer. And then we'll, we'll worship with this last worship song. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this, this, uh, these last few chapters that we've read. Lord, we thank you, uh, just a reminder of the fact that we're blessed. Lord, that it's not if you're on our side, because you are on our side. If we have a relationship with you, you are on our side. Who can be against us? Lord, we shouldn't fear anything or anyone. And Lord, we thank you that you don't observe iniquity in us. Lord, that you see the blood of Jesus Christ that has washed our sins. Lord, you don't see sinners standing in front of you. Lord, that's an amazing thing because we know who we are. We know what we've done. And yet by your grace, we can stand before you. Lord, that is a blessing above all blessings. Lord, I pray for each one of us that, Lord, even though Balaam didn't intend to do this, his intentions were otherwise, but, Lord, all he could do was bless. And, Lord, I would pray that for us, that the, the, the only words that come out of our mouths are mouths of, uh, words of blessing and not of cursing. So, Lord, I pray that you would do that work in each one of us. And finally, Lord, I do want to thank you that although we are probably not even aware of all the different ways that you protect us and that you watch over us. So we thank you and bless you. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.